I thank God for all who have led us in worship today, for our musicians and the beautiful anthem. Thanks to Miss Elliot for leading us. Thanks so much to Eliza for leading us in the public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We're in a sermon series called Faithful. We're talking about faith. Today I want to draw your attention to John 17 verses 14 through 19. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of today's sermon is Distinctive Faith, Standing in the Rain. Hear these words from Christ. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Some years ago, I traveled to Haiti on a mission trip. While we were there, we visited a church in the coastal city of Grand Guave. One of the missionaries working there told us that because this particular church doesn't have a baptistry, they conduct their baptisms in a unique way. They put the baptismal candidate in a robe and march the person from the church to the center of town. When they reach the center of town, the baptismal candidate in their robe and the person's Christian family members and friends all walk from there through the streets of the city toward the ocean. This procession goes on for approximately a mile before they reach the ocean where the baptism service is held. This is a powerful way to show that the new Christian is committing to being in the world, but not of it. This is Jesus' prayer for all of his disciples in John 17. He could have prayed for God to take his followers out of the world, to snatch us away to heaven, but he didn't pray that. He could have prayed for God to leave Christians in the world in a separate section marked Christians only. But he did not pray that either. Instead, in verse 15, Christ prayed for Christians to be in the world, yet protected 
from evil. He does not want us to be distant from the world, but distinguished in the world. He wants the world to determine our zip code, but not our moral code. He wants the world to determine our location, but not our values, our place, but not our principles. This is a difficult and delicate balance that Christians have struggled to maintain in every culture we've ever inhabited. There are two ways we can lose this balance as Christian believers. The first is to become separatist, to distance ourselves from the world, to withdraw from society, to disengage the broader culture. Some early Christians, for example, decided to retreat to the desert and live there in a monastic lifestyle of solitude. They thought being away from everything profane would give them a better chance at being holy. I would never say God doesn't call certain people to a monastic lifestyle, but the general call of Christ is to engage the world, not to withdraw, to be in the world, not to be separate from it. It's tempting for Christians to adopt a fortress mentality that says we've got to keep ourselves separate from worldly people and worldly things so that we do not become tainted. But that's not what Christ desires for us. Christ does not turn his back on the world and he doesn't want us to either. Of course there are certain activities that Christians should always avoid But generally speaking, Jesus calls us to engage the world, to engage the broader culture, to engage non-Christian people. The reason is that Christ loves the world. Since he loves the world so very much, he sends us into it. That's what he says in verse 18. Christ calls us to risk ourselves for the sake of the world rather than preserving ourselves in a Christian enclave. At the same time, we've got to be careful not to let the world take over our lives. The second way to lose our balance as Christians is to embrace worldliness. When we engross ourselves in the patterns and values of the broader culture, we can possibly become worldly. The problem with this, as Jesus says in verse 16, is that we do not belong to the world. Being worldly is not who we are. It contradicts our identity as baptized believers. We are to conduct ourselves differently than others because we believe in Christ. They have believed that you sent me, Christ prays in John 17, 8. But how do we exhibit distinctive faith amid the environs of this present world? The key, I think, 
is found in verse 17, where Christ prays for the Father to sanctify Christians in the truth. To be sanctified is to be made holy, to be set apart. He wants us to be set apart in God's word, which is Christ himself. He is the word of God made flesh. The paragon of holiness then is Christ. And his set-apartness led him to leave heaven and enter earth. Christ exemplifies a set-apartness marked by distinctiveness in the world rather than distance from it. He exemplifies a set-apartness marked by engaging the world with love, not withdrawing from it for fear of taintedness. If we study the Word of God revealed in Christ, His life, His way, His words, then we can be in the world without being worldly. Christ's life was marked by compassion for others, not by calloused indifference. Christ's life was marked by a deep concern for the poor and vulnerable, not a selfish pursuit of comfort and convenience. His life was marked by forgiveness, not condemnation. It was marked by reaching for the outcast and not fearing them. It was marked by challenging injustice, not disregarding it. Christ's life was marked by self-sacrificial love for others. These are characteristics we display when we are sanctified in the truth, sanctified in God's word, sanctified in Jesus Christ. Let us please not reduce Christian holiness to some simplistic formula such as, I don't lie, cheat, or steal. That's good. It's very important not to lie, cheat, or steal. But Christian holiness is so much more holiness being sanctified in the truth, entails a Christ-like disposition. Christ said that he was humble, for example. And Philippians 2 tells us to be humble like Christ, to look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. In a world where self-interest is the order of the day, Humble people that consider the interests and perspectives of others stand out. Christ also taught us that greatness is found in service. He said that in the world among the Gentiles, the great ones are tyrants, but it is not so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you must become your servant. According to Christ then, greatness does not consist of influence, brand recognition, or net worth, but of service. If we adopt this mentality about what true greatness is, we will stand out. 
Christ further said that instead of hating our enemies and loving only those who love us, we are to love our enemy, to care for those on the opposing side. If we adopt this Christ-like mindset in our polarized world, we will certainly stand out. Exhibiting holiness amid the world can be challenging because certain places and certain people can negatively influence our behavior. In fact, the world can seduce us into being someone we're not. A few years ago, there was a palliative care nurse in Australia named Bronnie Ware who studied the most common regrets among patients who were dying. At the end of their lives, the most common regret among the wide variety of people she studied was this. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me. As Christians, when we are true to ourselves, we are true to our baptismal identity. In other words, to be true to ourselves is to be true to who Christ is making us to be, not who the world tells us to be. This is why Christians need a healthy form of the I don't really care what other people think about me mentality. Now, of course, we pay attention to what loving family members and Christian friends have to say as their counsel can refine us. But we also exercise the courage to be different in this world by not being overly concerned about what other people think of us. When I was growing up, we took a family vacation every summer to the beach, one week at the beach each year, and we had a big time. My dad was sensitive to the sun, especially his nose. But he found a product called zinc oxide. Y'all familiar with zinc oxide? He said it was the best sunblock available at the time. Now the zinc oxide my dad used was a bright yellow color. And he only used it on his nose. It was radiant. I mean, his nose would glow like Nashville neon. We'd go out and play putt-putt at the beach, you know, one of the many golf courses. And my brother Rick and I would give him the hardest time about that yellow zinc oxide on his nose. My dad didn't care. Sometimes when we were out on the beach or out at a restaurant somewhere, I'd notice people were looking at him as if he were odd. He could not have possibly cared less what other people thought about his zinc oxide. He was going to do what he had to do, regardless of what anybody thought of him. We need some Christian moxie like that. Some, you know what, I really don't care what you think about me at the end of the day, audacity. We should be more interested in our character than our image anyhow. 
Amen? Being sanctified in the truth makes us live differently than most. The heart of the matter is that we are taking our cues from the Word rather than from the world. We are being sanctified in the truth of Christ. If an influencer tells me I need to do this or that, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. If a commercial tells me I need this or that product, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. If commercials tell me things, if TV shows, movies, and video games portray lifestyles and glamorize lifestyles that are totally different than mine, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. If people at the restaurant roll their eyes at me when I say a table blessing, thanking God for the food that's before me, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. If giants of my industry tell me that in order to be great, I need to ruthlessly step on others as I climb my way to the top, and I say no thanks, and it leads them to think that I'm weak, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. If friends and neighbors think I'm a super weirdo because I care deeply about persons who are marginalized, downtrodden, destitute, and afflicted, who cares? I'm taking my cues from Christ. When I was a little boy, we had a neighbor named Kenny. Kenny was in his 20s. I was about seven or eight at the time this happened. We both loved baseball and softball, and so Kenny invited me to go with him to his church league softball game one day. I thought this was a really cool opportunity because this older next-door neighbor that I looked up to was inviting me to go to his softball game with him. I went inside and asked my mom if I could go, and she said, sure, that'd be fine. So I got in the car with Kenny. We drove to the park. And the game began. I was enjoying watching Kenny and his team play, but partway through the game, a thunder shower rolled in and drenched the area with rain. Well, right when it started raining, Kenny and virtually everybody else at this game sought shelter under the one big tree in the area. Now, this was a tall tree with sprawling branches. It was huge. And so Kenny took me under there with him and everybody else. And this presented a dilemma for me. Because my mom had told me never to take shelter under a tree in a thunderstorm. In fact, she, when she was growing up, she had known a couple in her neighborhood who took shelter under a tree during a thunderstorm, and they were struck by lightning. So she had told me multiple times throughout my young life, don't do that, son. Well, here I was standing under this tree to stay dry with Kenny and all these other people. And this dilemma enters my mind, so I kind of <laughs> quietly shuffled out into the rain. Just a few steps. Kenny saw me, and he reached out and pulled me back under the tree with everybody else. It's still pouring rain, you know. Well, I 
caught a moment when he was talking to some of the adults again, and so I, I shuffled farther out into the rain this time. And Kenny saw me out there, and he reached out and pulled me back under again. It was a real dilemma for me because I didn't want to disrespect Kenny, but I knew where I needed to be. So the next time I got a chance, I walked way out there. I mean, everybody else at the game was under this tree. I'm standing way, way out in the rain. And I remember at that moment, when Kenny saw me out there again, he said, boy, what are you doing? I'll tell you what I was doing. I was obeying the one I trust. Even if it left me standing in the rain all by myself. Obeying Christ sometimes leads us out into the rain. But that's all right. The baptized life has never been about staying dry. Amen.